Happy Easter. It's a great Resurrection Sunday, and we are starting today a new series that uh, is going to go throughout this month of April, and we're talking about Let Hope Rise. Let Hope Rise. And in this, we're going to be walking through the resurrection of Jesus, uh, just the, the entire span, span between his resurrection and his ascension. And, and the whole point is to discover how we and why we can let hope rise in our life even when it doesn't always make sense to let hope rise in our life. Sometimes there's uh, travailing going on and hope still remains. We're living in a stressful time right now. Uh, If I ask for a show of hands of how many people have experienced stressful moments in the last few days, uh, probably every hand in this uh, room would go up. And for one reason or another, and what stresses you may not stress me and, and vice versa. There's, we're all different in that, but we are living in stressful times. The state of our nation, our country, our world is quite unique. It's, we're in time of transition and, and now everything is, is questionable and, and there's a lot of skepticism in the world today. Some things that we thought, you know, were just absolutes. This is how it was or, are no longer absolutes. Uh, you know, historically, if you look at someone, you could generally tell uh, up front if they were a man or a woman. And, and now our culture is telling us that that's a questionable thing. Right or wrong, it's definitely a change from what has been. We're talking about the idea of stress. And, and historically, everything tells us that if a young person, a teenager... Uh, is pampered and taken care of, that their stress levels in life are lower. But in our world today, recent studies have said that that our young people are more pampered today than ever before, and yet stress levels among young people are higher than ever before. It's a confusing day. It's an unusual day. The politics of our world. Need I say more? It, it, things don't always seem to add up or, or make sense anymore. Things that you thought, this is how that's going to be, or I have some idea of how that could go. It seems to just, there aren't many rules anymore. Safety's an issue. We used to consider things like churches and schools to be places of general social safety. But today, that's not always the case. In fact, last year was the most violent year on his, in history for churches and schools in our country. How many people are checking packages twice on the front porch right now? Especially in the Dallas area. Just just normal stuff doesn't seem to be going normally any longer. And, and there's a need for hope to be restored. But the question is, how do you restore hope or let hope rise in your life when it just doesn't seem like hope ought to be? Hope's simply not warranted. You can, you can try to let it rise, but, but you shouldn't because things just don't look that good. And I'm going to tell you that there's two requirements for letting hope rise in our world today and in our lives today. And the first is this. Hope must be established in something beyond this world. And if you're a note taker, I encourage you to use the notes that are in your bulletin to take some notes. And, and the hope that we, that we have must be established in something beyond this world. It's not just an ethereal concept, hope. It must be rooted or, or, or grounded in something. But but if it's rooted or grounded in something in this world, then it's not rooted and grounded in something that is solid. 
We've just talked about how everything is changing and morphing and, and going in different directions. And so it has to be rooted in something that is solid. Well, here's something solid. Romans chapter 15, verse number 13. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. He does not say that this is circumstantially based. He doesn't say if everything's aligning right and everything's going according to your plan, that then you should let hope rise in your life. He is saying that because you have God, you have hope. He is the source of hope. If you're traveling in a desert and nowhere, the water is not to be found anywhere. But you have something in your hand that consistently produces water. Then it literally doesn't matter where you're standing in the desert. You have water. When you have God in your life, you have the source of hope. So it doesn't matter what's going on around you. Hope remains because hope is with you. If hope's hard to find in your life today, it could be because you're trying to establish that hope in something that is within this world. You thought that by getting that new job, your your financial situation would work out better and you wouldn't have to worry about finances anymore. But you found out that, well, it's a little tighter than you thought it was going to be. You thought by stretching a little bit and getting into that better school system or or sending your child to that private school that they were really going to achieve and they were going to reach their full potential. But you found out that that's not working the way that you thought it was going to. You thought that new relationship in your life was going to mean that you would never be lonely again. But you still find yourself battling sometimes this issue of loneliness. The problem is that hope in anything in this world cannot satisfy the demand. The world is simply fallen. It cannot get up by itself. And there's only one who has been higher than the world, greater than the world, who has reached into the world and has the capacity to raise the world up again. If the world would allow... God will raise the world up again. But you don't have to be waiting for the world to allow in or for God to allow God to raise your life up, your family up, your business up, your life up. You don't have to wait on the rest of the world. You can make the choice yourself. Now, some folks just deny the existence of God. They say, well, God doesn't exist and he can't exist because look at all the junk that's going on in the world today. Junk is a real, uh, it's a, it's a Greek word and it means junk and, and it's, it's really deep. So, so he, <laughs> you're looking at the world and you're saying it's absolutely without hope. It's ridiculous. And, and so I don't even see how there could be a God that would allow this kind of stuff to happen. And, and here's, here's the reality though. Atheism does nothing to remove the tragedy of the human condition. It does remove all the hope, however. If if the world could make itself a better place, then it would. The more secular the world becomes, if humanity is the answer, the more secular the world becomes, the better the world should be. And yet, watch the news. It will inform us that that's not quite the case. All the problems remain with the human condition, but all the hope is gone. 
The second thing that must be in place in order for, to let hope rise in your life is that your faith must be in Christ, the risen Savior. The risen Savior. Now, our faith is dependent on a miracle. And there is no getting around that. I've heard Christians over the years try to explain away the resurrection. Say, well, you know, whether the resurrection happens or not, it doesn't really matter because, you know, the Bible is full of great principles that if you you utilize them in your life, it is going to make your life better. But to say that one can be a Christian without depending on the fact of the resurrection is is totally incorrect because the same book that delivers the information about the resurrection gives us this information. Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. It says, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. And your faith is useless. So the same Bible that says that Christ did raise from the dead is also saying that if he didn't, it's all useless. It's all pointless. Our faith is based upon a miracle. Now, trying to prove the resurrection that's been done, and it's, it's, it's really incredible to see how, how it all goes historically and so on. And we could talk today about the historical concepts of it, maybe the writings of the Jews or the Romans or the Greeks, and, and, and how uh, they recognized the resurrection in all of those texts. And then, then you have the, the, the fact that people were in Jerusalem at the time and, and Jesus dies and he goes into the tomb and he, and, and his disciples are saying in the same city, they're saying Christ rose from the dead. All the Jews and all the Romans would have to do is go produce a body. If they had just produced a body, then, then the whole conversation would be over. We could talk about the fact that if you were going to produce or, or, or put over on somebody a hoax, then in this very patriarchal society, It made no sense to try to fool people by using the testimony of, number one, a woman. And not only that, a woman with a very bad reputation. Neither of these things helped cement the idea that this Christ had risen from the dead. But but yet all of those things are true about the risen Savior. But today I... uh, I can't speak specifically to every single one of those things and break them all down. But what I can tell you is my greatest proof of the risen Savior is what he has done in my life. The fact is, is that my marriage should have been over. And yet I'm married almost 21 years in June, be 21 years. Uh, I could tell you that many times my life should have gone downhill and yet God caused my life to go uphill. I can tell you that many times I thought it was over and yet God turned situations around and in a way that I cannot explain, things worked out better than I ever thought that they could. He is a risen Savior and He's doing an incredible work in my life and He can do an amazing work in your life too. Praise God. The circumstances are different, but what I'm talking about is not that unusual. If I asked across this room today, could you just stand up and tell us something that God has done for you? We would find hundreds of stories of people saying, this is what my life was and this is what my life is today because Christ has done something beautiful in my life. It's a consistent story throughout history and even till today. And the reason is because the resurrection is not an event. It's not a tradition that we hold. The resurrection is a person. 
a person. Jesus said this, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. So when the resurrection occurs, the resurrection is with us right now. He is here. Jesus is here. He's here in you and he's here in me and he's here with us because he is alive and he is well. And he sits at the right hand of the father today. Praise God. Everything depends on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But because he rose from the dead, everything becomes possible. The possibilities become infinite. And we have the choice today to choose to allow hope to rise. We get to choose what will be lowered in our life and what will be raised in our life. When you're dating, you have different people that you might be dating in life, but eventually one of them rises to the top. One of them rises to the top. That's how that works. There, there suddenly you, you have a different order of importance. And I can tell you that my phone might ring a hundred times a day. But when my phone reads Christy, it gets answered. And if it doesn't get answered, it gets text with an immediate explanation as to why it's not being answered. <laughs> why? Because she's the priority in my world. If it's your name, it can wait. If it's her name... <laughs> We choose what we allow to rise in our life and I choose to allow hope to rise in my life and I believe you can allow hope to rise in your life too. And so as we launch into this whole series, we're in John chapter number 20 and it says in verse 1, early on Sunday morning, while I was, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. The one whom Jesus loved. She said, have they taken the Lord's body out of the tomb? Or they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. And Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. So this morning, our big idea for this sermon is let hope rise because Jesus did rise. Is alive and can make what died to live Again, And we worked hard to make that really short and snappy. But this is the best we could come up with. Because it tells the whole story. Jesus did die. He did rise. He is alive. And he can make what died to live again. So I have two thoughts for us today. I know that's messing some people up who normally we have three. So just take a deep breath. It's going to be okay for one Sunday. Thought number one is this, the miracle happened while it's still dark. Now see, this is important because in our lives, sometimes we look around ourselves and and we can't hardly see what's going on. It's so dark around us and the, the circumstances of the day seem so dark and so heavy that it's hard to even see past them. But I would encourage us today by saying the miracle happened while it was still dark. Can you imagine the world of the disciples? They thought Jesus was going to ascend to an earthly throne. This is why they left him whenever he was crucified. They were afraid something was happening that they did not understand. They had not planned for. And so now here he is. He's he's died and, and now he's in the grave. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. 
What do you do when everything you thought was going to happen doesn't happen? And everything you thought would never happen is actually happening right now? What do you do in that moment? It's a dark moment. Now, now everybody knows the cliche. It's in the dark that every light shines the brightest. But what if you don't have a light? Then it's just dark. When I was a kid, we had barns and we had animals and, and, um, and I, it was my job to go feed the horses. And so I ran out to the barn and I got so accustomed to knowing where everything in the barn was, I'd run in there and just to save time, I wouldn't run all the way across the barn, turn on the lights and then come back uh, to get the grain and feed the horses. So one day, I, one night, I ran out there and it was dark and I walked into the barn and it was super dark and I flipped open the grain bin and I reached down to where I knew I put the, the uh, scoop every single time. I put the scoop in that right uh, front corner and I reached down for it and when I grabbed it, that scoop had become warm and hairy. <laughs> and a rat... I don't know how big he was, but he was big. He ran up my arm. He got out of my hand. He ran up my arm. He looked me in the eyes with his beady little eyes. And then he jumped off my shoulder and it sounded like that when he landed on the concrete and he took off. I hate rats. Still to this day, I will scream like a, I will scream like a scared person. I will. I will scream. I will. I will climb on top of you if there's a rat in this place. Snake, no problem. Other crazy stuff, no rats. Uh huh. Anyway, I say some of the dumbest things when I'm preaching. I might hear about this again. Here's the thing. It was dark. I never did that again. There was always a lot of light and noise when I went to feed the horses after that. You might be in a situation right now where the night just seems so dark and there just doesn't seem to be any hope. The disciples are in that situation and they're trying to figure out what's going on. In fact, Jesus had literally raised the dead. So if he could raise the dead, why couldn't he keep himself from being dead? Here are the questions that they're trying to figure out and answer. But I want to I want to encourage us today by saying don't lose hope because miracles often happen in the dark. Miracles often happen in the dark. The wind, the Bible says that God told Moses, put your staff over the Red Sea and Israel's trapped and they, they don't see a way out. But but here they are trapped and God says, put your rod over the Red Sea and he does. And, and all night long, the Bible says the wind blew when they got up the next morning, the waters were parted. It was Paul and Silas that were in prison and and they were singing and worshiping God. And it says at midnight, it's dark at midnight. At midnight, the Bible says that God rattled the the jail and and he freed all the prisoners. A miracle happened at midnight. You might be sitting in the dark right now. The situation didn't work out the way that you thought it would. You thought you were going to have daylight, but daylight never came. Maybe the child didn't turn out the way that you thought they were going to. Stress hasn't lifted even though the new job came along and maybe money's tighter than you've ever had it before and you're, you're, you're in a dark place and you're trying to figure out is there any light? Is there any hope in this place and in this moment? The enemy would love for this moment to be a time of fear and confusion and anxiety for you, but I want to encourage you by saying it's also a time for hope. 
miracles happen in the dark. And I want to, I want to do something a little bit different right now. Normally at this point, I just moved to point thought number two and, and, and we move right past it, but I want to take a minute. And if that's you in your life right now, we want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand or raise your hand or anything like that, but we're going to pray right now because if you're in the dark and you need hope, I'm preaching to you that hope exists and you can let hope rise in your life because of your relationship with Christ. And we're going to act upon what I'm preaching about and teaching about right now. So I'm going to ask you if you would just, just bow your heads with me. And if this is you, if you're in this place, could you just reach out in faith, just in faith say, I don't see how it's going to work, but I'm willing to just believe a little bit. Enough to just say it's possible, something unique, something special, something miraculous could happen. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, you see what every single person is dealing with. You see every, every dashed hope. You see every dream that seems to be put on hold. You see every problem that's rising its ugly head. You see every negative thing that's coming up. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would allow light to shine in this dark place. Let them feel your presence, your power, your love. But I'm asking you to do a miracle in their world right now. I don't know what that miracle needs to look like. But you do. So I'm asking you, Savior, that you would just cover your people right now in the name of Jesus. And we are believing you for a miracle. Amen. Amen. Thought number two is this. Known outcomes were replaced with unusual results. It's interesting that whenever you see this situation, Jesus has told them this whole time that he's going to raise from the dead. That he's going to get up out of the grave. And yet, here they are in this moment, and and now they're looking at the tomb, and the stone is rolled away, and they are not rejoicing, but they are freaking out. They're not excited and celebrating. Oh, look, we don't know where he's at right now, but we know he's not here anymore. Things have changed substantially. No, they are concerned. Where have they taken him? They have stolen him. The announcement of the miracle was the cause for concern. But here's what I want to tell you. When God begins to do a miracle in your life, things that are obstacles right now will be removed as God does his work. How, how many people do you think got freaked out when they got up on the morning that the Red Sea was parted and they saw water stacked up on either side in dry ground? I'll be honest. I'd be a little freaked out by that. I'd be like, you go first. <laughs> how how odd would it have been in that moment whenever the walls of Jericho, they've been going around the walls for all this time and they're saying things like, God's going to bring this wall down. We're going to take this city. We're going to take this city. God's going to bring this wall down. As soon as these walls come down, we're going in there. We're doing what we've got to do. And we're going to take this city. And then all of a sudden the wall's gone. Well, it's easy to talk about taking the city when there's a great big wall right there. When the wall's not there anymore and now there's something to do, it's like, hmm, now this is interesting. How do I figure this out? 
I've seen Christians that, that when the wall was there, when the obstacle was there, they were fighting against the wall and fighting against the obstacle. And, and yet when the obstacle is removed, all of a sudden everything gets a little bit wonky, a little bit crazy. Can you push back the skepticism of our world and let hope rise as you, God works and opens things up before you? Now, it sounds easy, but it's not. Because we become identified with our obstacles. Don't allow your obstacle to identify you. Christy and I uh, started planting churches years ago. And we, were, we planted a church in Chicago. And things were difficult. We were, we were launching a brand new church. It was hard. It was really, really hard work. And we were fighting, not just for our survival, but, but we, for the church. But we were... Oftentimes fighting for survival in our own family. We didn't have a big budget from other places. We were working secular jobs and, and trying to make it happen and, and, and it was, it was really tough and that got rolling a little bit and, and, and things got going. But after three and a half years, we moved from there and we went over to Kona, Hawaii. I know, feel sorry for us. And, and we were, we were working hard there and, and it sounds beautiful, but it came with its own challenges. And so we're working and it's hard and things are difficult and, and, and we're struggling and we're fighting and, and, and we're, we're making it happen and, and God is blessing and that church really did well and, and praise God for it. But we were constantly dealing with issues and figuring stuff out. And then we moved from there to Houston. In Houston, we took a position as on church staff there, and it was a it's a great big church, and it's a beautiful church, and a very faithful church, and and all of a sudden, for the first six months, we were like, "Wow, this is awesome." There's no pressure on us. I mean, there's the pressure to do ministry and do it well, but but we're not trying to create something. I mean, wow, this is fantastic. It's wonderful. But about six months in, she and I started fighting, and and, and I don't mean. We were like having deep theological discussions. I mean, we were screaming at each other. It doesn't happen in anybody else's house, I know. But it happens in mine. Sometimes. We were just at each other constantly. And we were trying to figure out what what is going on. I would drive to, to the office and I'd be thinking, we just had a major war and I do not know why. So here we are, we're, we're going. So one day... After this has been going on for a little while, I'm praying about it and suddenly the thought pops into my head. You're not fighting the same battles you fought before. And I thought, hmm. So I got home and I started talking to Christy and I, and I said, uh, let's, let's, let's ruminate on this. Let's think about this a little bit. And what we are, what we realized is that for many years we had been such under such a weight of pressure of having to produce, having to survive, having to make it happen. If the church was going to live and we were going to live, I mean, it was just, it was just everything, everything, everything. And all of a sudden we have this moment where everything is not necessary. We don't have to kill ourselves in order to make this thing happen at this particular moment. And and everything's going okay and everything's going to be okay. And, And in that moment we realized that the obstacle was removed, but the obstacle had begun to define us. And because we didn't have that thing to fight, we started fighting one another. Once we understood that, we suddenly had peace in our home again. We suddenly said, oh, okay, that's what's going on. And we began to to recognize it and to deal with it differently. You think because the obstacles removed, everything's going to be okay. No, that's just the next stage of the resurrection in your life. What's going on in your world. 
These guys pushed into the tomb and they found it empty. And instead of celebrating, they were concerned and they were worried. He wasn't stolen, he was risen. What obstacle has been removed in your life? Do you find yourself frustrated for no reason? Do you find yourself dealing with with anger and anxiety within your family for what seems to be no reason? Could it be that God has done a miracle in your world? He has removed an obstacle, but you have so allowed that thing to define you? I know people who have been depressed for years that come out of depression but don't know how to handle it. I know people who have had bad marriages for years and now the marriage is no longer the issue But they don't know how to handle it anymore. They don't even know who they are at this point. The obstacle has been removed, but it has defined them. And so now they're in a place of trying to redefine who they are and who are they fighting. Is there a battle to fight? We want to, I want to do the same thing with you from this point as we did the first. I'd like you to bow your heads for a moment. And if you're in a place right now where you find yourself in the place that I'm describing, I want to invite you to reach out in faith for a moment and just ask God to help you to identify that the obstacle has been removed and then it's time for you to rejoice and celebrate in what has come alive. So Lord Jesus, we ask you right now to do what only you can do. Bring revelation into our lives. Help us to see if you have miraculously shifted something, the obstacle's no longer there. I pray that you would give us the eyes to see the miracle that you've done. We need you to show it to us, Lord. Make it clear so that there can be peace in our lives, in our homes. Hope can rise because you're there. You're with us. But I'm asking you to give us the revelation, the heart to see that in fact you are simply doing what you said you would do all along. I give you thanks and praise for it, mighty Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Here this morning, you you may be here and you, you might not be a Christian. Some of you are here because you're making your mother happy. Your father happy. I know you're here. I'm thrilled you're here. I'm I'm honored that you're here. But I pray that if you're here today and you've never allowed Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I pray that something said or something felt would, would have opened up just a small, small window of opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. We're not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to ask anybody to do anything at all unusual. But what we are going to ask, we're going to ask us to pray together. Because I don't want to leave this service today, this this beautiful Easter Sunday morning, without giving someone an opportunity to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Hope can rise in your life, but it must be established in something. Something beyond this world. Next week, I'm going to talk about letting hope rise because your past is forgiven. And we're going to break that down a little bit about how to, how to let go of the past and allow God to forgive you, maybe like you've never allowed him before. But right now, if, if that window is open at all in your life, and I'm, I'm praying that it is, and I'm going to ask everybody if you bow your heads with me, and we're going to pray together. And I'm going to ask you to repeat what I'm praying. 
We're going to ask everybody to pray it together so that nobody has to pray alone. But if you're in the house today and you're saying, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Maybe you walked away for a long time and you know it's time to come home. Maybe you're in a place of hopelessness and you know you need to reestablish to the, to the one who brings hope. Whatever your story may be, I ask you to just open up your heart in faith and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Allow him to change your life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I love you. Let's pray it together. I thank you for what you've done. I believe that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again. I believe that you did that for me. So today, I repent of all my sin. Anything I've done that has displeased you, I turn away from it today. And I accept your forgiveness, your grace, your love, and your salvation. I accept you as my Savior. And from this day forward, I am your child and you are my God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we thank God for what he's done in this house this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.